<laughs> All right. Hey, we are in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning, starting in verse 7. And if you weren't here last week, we took a turn in the book of Ephesians. Paul has spent the first three chapters uh, talking about what the gospel is, uh, who God is, all those sorts of things, and what God has done for us in making us gospel people. But in chapter 4, 5, and 6, he takes a turn and he makes it really applicable. And he puts this banner phrase over it to us. And he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That we are to, to live our lives, to, to, to walk in a manner that, is, that matches with the calling that we have received in the gospel. And we talked about last week the unity talked about the unity that God uh, has created because God dwells in us and he is one, then we are to be one. We are to be united and together, going in the same direction, going after the same things, all pulling together. And so this week, Paul is going to address our diversity, our diversity. We're not just all the same people. Chuck, you and I are not the same, are we? He can't hear me. Never mind. Uh, John, you and I are not the same. Will, you and I are not the same. Jeremy, you and I are not the same. There is a diversity. Even though we're unified, even though we're all pulling in the same direction, uh, there is a diversity that God has given the church. And he's going to talk about the diversity of gifts that we have received. He's only going to address a few of them. There's a lot more gifts than just what he addresses today. But the reason God gives the church a diversity of gifts is why? To build up the body, to build up the body into maturity. And what we're going to see today is all of this happens through God's word. Because this is a fundamental belief of ours, that it is God's word that builds God's church. It is God's word that builds God's church. It's God's word that builds God's people, and it's God's word that builds God's church. And that's what Paul is going to lay out today. Uh, this is God's good design. And this is the way God has set it up. So let's read Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the, will, uh, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me pray. God, I thank you for 
grace. God, I thank you for mercy. God, and I pray that you would use um, my limited words to explain your unlimited truth, God. God, I pray that you would help us to understand this, God, and you would help us to live this out, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. God, I pray that we would, um, how we would believe this and would sink into our hearts, God, and it would make sense. God, and it would change how we live. God, we love you and we need you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 7. Let's start there. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He says, Grace was given. This word for grace is the, the Greek word charisma, which can mean gift. And so what he says is, Gifts were given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so what he's saying is that Christ, the, the ruler of over all things, God himself, the foundation of the church, has given us gifts, uh, and they're from Christ. Now, there, there are a variety of spiritual gifts that are listed in uh, Scripture. There's some in Romans, there's some in other places, and they're, they're all a little bit unique, and they all take a little different uh, angle. This, this list is not complete by any means, that these are the only five gifts that we've been given as a church. If you go read the other list, it's not the only spiritual gifts that God has given the church. But he says that Christ has given us this. And what, we, what is very clear in Scripture, if you, if you read these lists and you read the surrounding conversation around these gifts, is that these gifts are from God. They're spiritual gifts. They're not, uh, they're not I want to, you know, I, I don't just get to create my own gift and say, well, I am the gift to the church, right? I don't get to just make up my own and go, well, here's, how, here's what I want to do. And so this is me uh, doing that. No, these are gifts from God. They're, it's not us who gets to decide what these gifts are. And he says that if you read all the other places, and I'm not going to go and read them all, but the purpose of each of these spiritual gifts is to do what? To build up the church. It's never to build up an individual. It's never to exalt someone because, oh, look how gifted they are. Look how awesome they are. Look how good they are at this or that. If that's what your understanding of a spiritual gifts is, then you've missed Scripture. Because what he says is that these gifts are to build up the church. It's not for selfish purposes. He says, but grace was given to each one of us, or gifts was given to each one of us. And we don't want, I want to skip over that phrase, each one of us. He's saying that grace was given to everyone, every member of the body. It's not just the musicians who have been given a gift. It's not just uh, those who administrate or those who serve. No, no, no. He says grace was given to each one of us. Every member. And this is an important concept for us to grasp and get our minds around. We, we talk about uh, the priesthood of all believers, that we, we believe we don't ha you don't have to come through me to talk to God, right? You can talk to God through Jesus, right? You don't have to go to a priest to talk to God, right? But we also believe in an every member ministry. That ministry is not just for uh, the professionals. Ministry is not just for the highly gifted and the highly dynamic. No, what this says is that grace was given to each one of us. Gifts were given to each one of us. 
And if we think that ministry is just what I do on the stage right now, we've missed it. If we think that ministry is just those who have an office, we've missed it. No, ministry and, and purpose and gifting is not for the elite or the accomplished. It's for every member of the body. If my finger decides it doesn't want to be a finger anymore, that's not good for the body, right? We need, we need members that understand that I have been gifted by God to build up the body in my own unique way. And he says it's according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, these gifts are God's choice. God's the one building his church. Jesus leaves us with those instructions. He says, I will build my church. It's not us. He says, I'm doing this. And so he gives us gifts to accomplish that. So this is according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's, gifts are not about our own benefit, our own glory, our own praise, our own standing or our own whatever. No, the purpose of gifts is to build up the body. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, 9, and 10. I'm going to be honest. I've read this for years, and this was always like, what? What are you talking about? So I, I thought when I first started this week, this was just kind of a little aside. But I see now that it's not. This is very central to what Paul is saying. So let's read 8, 9, and 10 together, and I'll try to explain it. Verse 8, 9, and 10, it says, Therefore, it says, and he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm 68. It says, Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And if you're reading it with me, you'd go, what? What? Right? But we're not Jewish Christians who know our Old Testament really well. But he's, he's quoting Psalm 68. And Psalm 68 is a psalm that is about God delivering his people from their enemies. He is a conquering king in Psalm 68. And the picture in Psalm 68 is that as God conquers his enemies, he rises and he takes the throne. And he rules over all things. And he gives then gifts to his people. As any king would do when, when you uh, have the spoils of war, you distribute them to the people. And so Paul quotes Psalm 68. He's not just trying to describe the direction like heaven is up and hell is down low. That's, that's not his point at all. What is he saying? He's, he's saying that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's saying that Christ descending to earth being born in human form, taking the likeness of human flesh, living a perfect life, dying the death we deserved, being, being punished on the cross and descending into the grave and rising again and ascending back to the throne is a picture of Psalm 68. He's saying that the Old Testament, the New Testament, everything is about Jesus and what that king does when he ascends to his throne is that he gives gifts. He gives the spoils of war to his people. And so we believe this, that Christ sits on the throne today and he is giving gifts to his people. Right? He is giving gifts. He's giving out the spoils of war to continue to advance his mission. 
And namely, he's given us the Spirit. That's what he says at the end of it. He says that uh, he is uh, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. God has given us the Spirit to dwell with us, to live inside of us. And the Spirit gives us gifts to build the church, to spread his glory to the ends of the earth. So it's not just a, well, Jesus was here and now he's here. No, 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 no. This is a much bigger picture that God has conquered over his enemies. And now as the reigning king, he is giving gifts to his people. Let's look at what those gifts are. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now again, this list is one of many. Uh, when it talks about spiritual gifts, it's not the only list. It's not the, the only five that <laughs> exist. Um, but the reason that he gives us these five, I think, in this context is because of this. Each one of these has a primary responsibility of giving the word of God to the people of God. And because the point is that the only thing that builds us up into maturity is God's word, the only thing that builds a church is God's word, those are the first gifts that God gives to his church so that they can know the word, so they can have knowledge of the Son of God, as we're going to see in a minute. It is God's word that builds God's church. And so God gives these five uh, roles, these, these people, to the church to build up the church. So let's talk about each one. Prophets. He says, and he gave, oh, I'm sorry, apostles first. And he gave the apostles. Apostles can be a word that describes every one of us. It just means those who are sent. But, but in this context, it is very, very clear that what he's talking about is the 12 apostles. He's talking about the 12, the, the ones who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, those who were proclaiming and teaching the early church. That's who he's talking about. The ones that the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right? That's who he's talking about. We have their teaching written down in the New Testament. That's the apostles. And then he says, and the prophets. Prophets are people who are mouthpieces or spokespersons for God. And in this sense, as I'm going to argue in a sec, these are people that are given direct revelation from God to give to his people. Right? I don't believe this morning that I am somehow channeling God's words and I'm giving that to you and whatever I say you must do. If I believed I was a prophet, then maybe I would, but I'm not a prophet, right? I'm, I'm speaking truth. I'm proclaiming the truth of God's word, but a prophet is one who gives direct revelation today. Now, people believe that there are apostles and prophets today. But I want us to look at the context of Ephesians, and I think it's clear that, that these two do not exist today. And here's why. Apostles and prophets is used multiple times in the book of Ephesians as a combo. It's a, apostles and prophets. It's together. And these are foundational roles for the church. If you look at Ephesians 2.20, just a few verses before this, he says that the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself 
being the cornerstone. He's saying the household of God, the church is built. This is a past tense, uh, it's aorist form in the Greek. This happened in the past. It has been built. It's already accomplished and it's over. That the foundation of the church is built on the apostles and prophets. Ephesians 3, 5. He uses it again, this combo, both together. And he says that this, he's talking about the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, he's, in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, the, This mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He's talking about people that exist right then. He's talking about people that exist right now. And what, what happened with those apostles and prophets is that God gave them his word. That is this that we read, right? I am not speaking new scripture today. No one is adding to this book to say, no, 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 but there's also this. If there are apostles and prophets today, then we should be adding to scripture so when we read this, that, that God has given these gifts to the church, the apostles and the prophets, this should be a signal to us that he has given us his word, the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is the first gift. This is the gift we've been given by God, and we should know it. Now, there is a continuation of this, right? We still have the influence of this in our fellowship today. This governs everything that we do. It tells us what is true, right? And so in the sense, they do continue. And we believe that the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation, and we don't need to lay it again. We're not building upon that. We are simply proclaiming what they taught. The next one is evangelists. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. Evangelist is a word that means someone who speaks the gospel, who proclaims the gospel. And probably what he has in mind, and there is vast disagreement if you read commentaries on this, probably what he has in mind is something like a modern-day missionary, someone who is, is gifted in sharing the good news of the gospel with those who have never heard. Someone who is gifted in proclaiming the good news of Jesus and crossing boundaries, crossing cultural boundaries, crossing physical boundaries to reach those who have never heard. If Paul had not gone as an evangelist on his missionary journeys, then there would not be churches to have pastors and teachers and shepherds, right? First, the evangelist must go forward and proclaim the gospel, Next, he says, uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. Uh, we talked about this one a lot a few weeks ago, and we talked about what is a pastor. This word means pastor. It's someone who cares for the flock, cares for the sheep, cares for the church of God. These are people who are to teach. That is their primary role. That's what the Scripture lays out over and over, that, that pastors and shepherds are to teach the Word of God to the people of God, in the Spirit of God, to the glory of God, right? That's what shepherds do, and it is a gift to a church, right, to have pastors who do that. And he says teachers, shepherds and teachers. Some people put these words together and say it's one. Some people separate them. I think let's separate them because they're two different words. All pastors are teachers, but not all teachers must be pastors, right? Pastors do more than just teach. 
Many people are gifted to teach in small groups and to teach kids right now. I am not one of them. <laughs> I realize this every time my wife asks me to fill in on Wednesday nights. I'm just not very good at it, right? There are, the gift of teaching is so much more than just standing on a stage with a microphone and, and teaching God's word. There's so much more to that. And if we only have one teacher, then we are not a healthy church. We need many teachers. We need many people who understand God's word and can teach kids and can teach women and can teach men and can teach all sorts of things, right? It is a gift to the church to have many teachers. Why? Because we believe it's God's word that builds God's church. And the more people that can teach and explain and apply God's word in all sorts of different situations, the more God's church will be built. Now, all five of these revolve around proclaiming and teaching the word of God. And I, I think it's worth pausing for a second to think, how does a church grow? How is God's church built? What is he laying out by putting this? Because he's going to say it's about equipping and building the church and growing into maturity, all these things, all these results. But why does he give these five gifts to accomplish that? Because it's God's word that builds God's church. It's not fancy programs. It's not nice buildings. It's not dynamic leaders. It's not uh, detailed strategies. It's not whatever we fill in the blank with. What Paul is saying over and over and over again. That God's word is most important because it's the only thing that proclaims the good news that can bring us from death to life. It's the only thing that can make us gospel people. Let's keep going. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Why does God give these gifts? Prophets, apostles, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. The purpose of these gifts of teaching is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The job of church leaders, the job of those who fill these roles is to equip. The word means to prepare. Uh, I'm thinking basic training, Brady, wherever you're at, right? It's to equip you for the battle that's ahead, right? You go through that so that you're ready, Right? The job of these leaders is to equip, to bring to completeness, to, to make them whole so that they are prepared for what? He says it next. For the work of ministry. My role is to not just be in ministry. My role is to teach and prepare and to equip you for the work of ministry. Ministry is not just for the professionals. No, we all have a role. We all have a gift in ministering to people. Leaders are called to equip us to that, but we are called to do this. Everyone is responsible for this work of ministry. It's for the saints. It's not just for those that have an office or those that, no, no, no. It's for everyone. And the result of the work of ministry, he says, is building up the body of Christ. Building up the body of Christ. Building means to construct, to make, to make better, to improve, to grow. And what are we building? It's not this room. Although this room is important and taking care of this is important, that's not what we're building. What are we building? We're building the body. 
which is made up of members. We are building the body of Christ, the people of the family of God. This is, we talked about what is our mission. Our mission is to make new disciples and to make mature disciples. That's what it means for us to be in ministry, is to help those who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus, and to help those who do know Jesus to mature in Jesus. And that's why we have a variety of gifts. We have a variety of service. We have a variety of ministry. Because there are a, a vast number of people and that this all depends on one person, then we have missed the point. If we're not all working together with our various gifts, then the body will not be built. Uh, I was watching the Astros game last night and uh, much better than the night before. I was not watching the Aggies last night. And uh, this is true on the Astros, that there is a unity, right? They're going after one goal, win the World Series. But there is a diversity of giftings. To be a good baseball team, and I don't know anything about baseball besides just watching it, you have to have a variety. You've got to have pitchers, people that specialize in throwing a ball really hard. But you've got to have a variety of pitchers. You've got to have starters and middle relievers and closers and all kinds of different roles within pitching. And then you've got to have people that can hit. But you don't just need people that can barely hit. You need people that can hit far. But sometimes you need people that can barely hit, right? And just poke it through, right? You've got to, sometimes you need people that can bunt, right? You need a variety of gifts. You need people that can field. You need people that can run fast. Sometimes I guess you need people that can go slow. Probably not. You must have a diversity of gifts to be a good baseball team. But you've got to have unity too, right? You've got to all be pulling in the same direction. You've got to all be going after the same goal, using the gifts and the unique talents and abilities that God has given you to accomplish that purpose. It's the same in the church. It's the same in the church. Look at verse 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does building the body look like? He says it's about this, attaining the unity of the faith. We are meant to become more and more united in what our belief is, in who Christ is, in what the gospel is. As we're taught God's word more and more, we become more sure and more uh, firm in our foundation of that faith. And that comes through what he says, the knowledge of the Son of God. We attain the unity of the faith through the knowledge of the Son of God. We're meant to grow in our knowledge. We're not just meant to stay put. And that's going to become a really prominent theme as he progresses. Like if we just stay where we're at in our spiritual life, we're going to get what we've always gotten. If we're not growing, if we're not pushing forward, if we're not, we're not maturing, then we're not going to accomplish that which God has given us to do. He says that, that we are to grow to mature manhood. This is nothing against womanhood. It's, it's a generic term. We're not meant to stay immature. We're not meant to stay as babies or as toddlers. No, we're meant to grow up. We're meant to complete, complete the process of learning and growing and doing. We're not just to look back at some childhood experience and go, yes, 
that was when I first met Jesus and lived the rest of our life right there. That's good. I want more and more kids to look back at that experience. But we're not meant to stay as a five-year-old. We're not meant to stay as an immature believer. No, we're to grow up into mature manhood. And what does that look like? He says it's to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That what we are growing to look like is not like me. No, we're to look more and more like Jesus. And how do we know who that is? Through his word. Right? The more mature we are, the more we look like Jesus, the more we know his word, and the more we look like him. What's the outcome of this kind of maturity? Look at verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He's, he continues this, that we're, we're to grow into maturity, into, into mature manhood, no longer remaining as children. We're not meant to be babies. We should never be satisfied in our faith, like, I, I've arrived, I've reached my point. No, 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 no. He says that we are to grow up into maturity. But then he switches the analogy to that of a boat. He says that we should no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about. The imagery is that of a boat. And now don't picture like aircraft carrier with lots of weapons and no picture a flat bottom boat in the middle of a cranky sea, right? That has no motor. One time a long time ago, Glenn Frank took me fishing. I was in middle school. And uh, this is probably why I don't like to fish. We drive out, whatever, we get on the boat three miles later. We don't catch a fish. Glenn goes to start up the motor. Let's go somewhere else. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. So we get to troll for about three hours back. Maybe it was longer than that. I don't remember. As a middle school student, it felt like a long time. We had no ability to go anywhere. And that's the picture that he paints here. We are not to be tossed to and fro by the winds and the waves. We're, no, 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 no. That's not it at all. We're not to just go wherever the wind blows. We're not to just follow the latest fad, to follow the latest trend. We're not to just go wherever we want to go and do what we want. Let my feelings lead me. No, he says we are not to be like that. We're not to be gullible. We're to be firm and secure in our faith because we have power to course correct and to go forward. And what are the things that try to shift us what are the things that try to move us? He lists three. He says, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. There are false teachers and false beliefs and false, false doctrines that will try to sway us away from the truth of the gospel of grace. There are worldly philosophies and worldly practices that will try to draw us away. Some might even appear to be Christian but they're not based in God's word. These are all kinds of beliefs uh, that, that are popular and come rushing in and they sweep people away. He says, don't be like that. Sometimes it's by human cunning. It means, the word means trickery or like loaded dice that's meant to deceive us, to distort us. 
Our, our enemy does not want us to become mature as a church or as individuals. And so he will use all sorts of things to draw us away from Christ, to, to swerve us away, to trick us away. He says, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We're not meant to just go along with whatever happens. Whatever, we don't just believe whatever somebody tells us. No, we check it against what? God's word. Is this true? Is this good? Is this right? Because the only way we're going to grow into maturity, as he's about to say, is through truth. Look at verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Instead of being deceived as toddlers and tossed about by, by winds and waves of doctrine, he says we are to, what? Speak the truth in love. The word doesn't really mean speak. It really just means like truthing, if that was a verb. We don't have that word in English. But it means truthing. It means speaking the truth, doing the truth, living the truth, hearing the truth. Any way we can be about truth, he says, rather we are to truth in love. The way we are deceived is through lies, and the way we will be mature is through the truth. We're meant to be people of the truth, but it's also with love. A number of years ago, my father stood on the stage, and I'll, I don't remember a lot of what he said from this stage, sadly. <laughs> Maybe there's some wisdom in that, but you're probably not going to remember a lot of what I say. That's okay. But he said this one day, he said, the truth without love is just a weapon. The truth without love is just a weapon. And we are prone to this. We're prone to want to choose one or the other. I'm probably tr prone to pick the truth sometimes. Other times I'm prone to pick love and not speak the truth. But Jesus was described as full of grace and full of truth. It's both. It's truth and love. The only way we're going to grow up is if we're full of both. We need to hear the truth. We need to hear the truth. Don't, don't give it to me like, don't, don't beat around the bush. No, I need to hear the truth in order to grow up into Christ. But I also need love. I also need grace. I also need mercy, right? Because I'm gonna fail. And I'm, we need both. Rather, we're to speak the truth in love and to grow up into him who is the head, into Christ. That we're to look more and more like Christ. Look at verse 16. We'll be done. He says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The, the, the picture that he paints here is that the body of Christ is a people who love each other, who speak the truth to each other, who help each other grow in Christ so that we can grow as a body, making new disciples, making mature disciples. This is who we're called to be, a body who loves each other, a body who speaks the truth to each other, and a body who grows up together. And God has given us a variety of gifts, and that's how he's going to accomplish this. So that the word of God would be proclaimed to the people of God, by the spirit of God, to build up the church of God, to the glory of God. As we wrap up today, I just want you to, where you're at, just to bow your head and close your eyes. And the band's going to come forward and lead us in a final song. 
But I just want us to take a moment to reflect personally. I just want us to think about a few questions. First, what, what is the gift that God has given me? What is the gift that God has given me to build up the church? What is my work of ministry? What am I called to do? How am I called to minister to others? And am I using that to build up the body? Am I using that, those gifts and those works of ministry to build up the body? Leaders, teachers, think about these questions. Am I equipping those under me with God's word? Am I equipping those who God has given me charge of and stewardship of? Am I equipping them with God's word? Am I preparing them for the world? Parents, think about your kids. Are we helping them to grow into maturity, not just in life, but in God's word? Church, are we speaking the truth? Are we loving? Are we full of grace and full of truth? Are we looking like Jesus? Are we living like Jesus? These are questions that we've got to ask ourselves after a message like this. And I know in my own heart, and some of these questions lead to conviction. They lead to areas that I'm not meeting the standard. I'm not measuring up to what Christ looks like. I'm not living in a way that's worthy of the calling to which I have been called. And so where we don't measure up today, let's repent. Let's turn from it. Let's repent of that and never go back to it. And where we see growth in our life, give God the praise for that. Because it's Him who's produced that in us through His Word and through His Spirit. So I want you to just take a second. I want you to pray where you're at. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song to close. And, and then we'll leave and we'll go about our week. But let's take a minute and pray. Confess what we need to confess. Plead for mercy. Plead for forgiveness where we failed. And then we'll worship together. God, thank you for grace. God, and thank you for the truth. God, thank you for so many I look around and see that are mature and are looking more and more like you, God, and are serving and are giving and are investing their time into others and are discipling and bringing people to the Lord and all those sorts of things. God, praise goes to you for those things, God. God, we confess where we've fallen short. We pray that you would forgive us, God. God, help us to grow up into him who is the head, into Christ, to look more and more like him in every area of our life, God. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.